Take a nice deep breath in and release. <coughs> or cough if you need to. <laughs> Everybody get your palm when you came in. Aren't these so fun? Hold it up and wave it. Yay! If you didn't get one and you want one, put your hand up. We have plenty. There's a hand over here, Beth. Anybody else? Raise your hand, we'll get you one. Okay. I have a story to start with this morning. Actually, it's, it's not a story. It's a, an opinion, an experience. This is by Reverend Ellen Devonport. And Ellen wrote the Five Principles book that we use for our new member orientation. She is the, uh, at least she was, I don't know if she still is, the minister at Unity of Wimberley in Texas. And a very cool lady. And this is what she says. A provocative question has arisen about the law of attraction and the idea that our thoughts and feelings create our experience. If we believe we create our own reality, where is God? How presumptuous, some might say, to imply that we are in charge. Isn't that just running rampant with our egos, thinking we can control everything, when in fact we should be seeking God's will? Who are we to see ourselves as creators of our own experience? Shouldn't we turn to God for guidance rather than ourselves? I struggled with these questions years ago, and I still hear them frequently from people just learning about the law of attraction. One man said that trying to understand that he attracts everything into his own life has been a God-shattering experience for him. I remember that feeling. When I first heard the idea that I was co-creating with God, it sounded grandiose and blasphemous. I was being encouraged to relocate God as being within me instead of out there, watching and tending to my needs. But this made me feel I was praying to myself, which seemed entirely wrong. And when ministers and teachers told me that I had all the answers within, I felt bereft. Obviously, I thought, if I had the answers, I would be using them. It took years of self-reflection and spiritual study to learn that I was laboring under a mistaken impression of who I truly am, my true self. I am a spiritual being having a human experience. I am an expression of God on earth. I am divine at my essence, my core, and I am never separate from God. As Jesus said, the Father and I are one. That means I have access to infinite divine wisdom, guidance, love, and strength, like a desktop computer tapped into the internet. I have a higher self or inner being, my God connection, that knows exactly what I need and draws it to me. I simply set an intention, and the universe rushes in to support me. Practicing the law of attraction means consciously and deliberately using our thoughts and feelings to bring more abundance into our lives. It may be love, health, strength, prosperity, or anything else, but it all comes from God. It all originates in invisible substance and is brought into form through our thinking. It already has been provided for us as part of creation. We are made in God's image, and God is nothing if not creative, so we are creators too. What an amazing aspect of creation that we can draw anything into our lives with our thoughts and feelings. What we hold in our hearts and minds appears in our reality. I have come to believe that we are never more spiritual, 
never more in touch with God than when we are co-creating our lives with the divine. It is exactly what we came to earth to do. I love that piece about, about being like a computer hooking into the internet. And it made me think of Google. It made me think, you know, like what if we believed that God held all the information so Google was blasphemous? Because Google gives us all the resources we could possibly need. It's a matter of figuring out what's to search for, right? You have to know the right word or the right phrase. Otherwise, you can't find what you need. You have to have a way of accessing. And if you have that right way, not only can you find one entry, but 2,700 or 1,000. What if it works that way with God? What if the truth is we're just trying to find the right words for the search engine? What if it's all about the right words? The right way of thinking, the right way of doing. That's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about words. But first I want to give you a couple of pieces of information. Every month as we talk about our our subject, we explore where Charles Fillmore placed it on the body. So I've added another little marker right here because Charles Fillmore placed love at the heart. Big surprise. (laughs) However, Charles Fillmore didn't just place it at the heart. He placed it at the back of the heart, which is very interesting, isn't it? So I had to go get out some anatomy resources and find out what's at the back of the heart. Why not at the front of the heart? Because he's very specific that it's at the back of the heart. And what exists at the back of the heart is a whole bundle of nerves called the uh, cardiac plexus. And that bundle of nerves is really interesting. How many of you have heard of something called heart math? Heart math is a relatively new, probably in the last 10 years, um, study of the heart that is teaching how the heart has a mind of its own, literally not figuratively, that the heart has a place of its own thinking and generates messages that move through the body. And those messages go to the body through that cardiac plexus. That is, it brings messages both from the brain to the heart and from the heart back out in both directions, up and down in the body. So very interesting that Charles Fillmore chose this place to place the heart. Very interesting for me. He didn't write about why he put these things where he did. So we don't know exactly what he was thinking. I can only surmise, and I don't want to give you the idea that that he said this. It's just interesting to me that he was specific, and that's what's there. And it's interesting to me because I don't know if he had anything remotely similar to Google where he could go find this out. You know, what took me about 10 minutes to find out what was there? How much time did he invest? to find out what was there and figure out where to place these things. So his message clearly invites us into love being a message, doesn't it? Into love being something that translates through our body and out into the world. And of course, we know how important that is. So this month, we're talking about love. And it's the month of Easter. And the story of Easter is one of love. And I'm glad that you're here this morning because 
Whether you've been walking the Lent journey with us or not, Easter week begins today. And this is a very powerful point in the story. And I want to caveat this by saying it doesn't matter whether you think this story is absolutely true and is what happened, or if you don't. If you don't believe this story is true, it's a story. We don't necessarily believe that Cinderella is true, but there's a lesson in the story, isn't there? And we love to tell the story because we learn something. We tell it to our children because there's a message in it. Whether you believe this is absolute truth or not, there's a message in the, in the story that is Easter. And it's a powerful, transformative message, and that's why we tell it over and over and over. Because it has the ability to change your life. And that's what I hope you are here to begin today. It's only an invitation. But I want to tell you what happened on this day. Because it's kind of an interesting thing. So on this day, we most of, most of us have heard the story that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. How many of you knew that? Yes. Okay. How many of you knew that they had palm leaves all over and created a basically a, a walkway for him, right? How many of you knew there was another parade going on that day? A couple, not very many. This is what happened. So we kind of hear this story that, you know, Jesus, Jesus came in and everybody was really happy and they yelled the words, Hosanna, and they were delighted that he was there and they were waving palm fronds and made a beautiful path and he came in on a humble donkey and isn't that awesome and cool? But we don't really hear the rest of why it was so cool. It was really cool. This is in the Jewish community is the day of Passover, the day that Passover uh, was celebrated. And so what was happening was that the Jews in Jerusalem were celebrating Passover and the Romans who were the power to be. They were the, the imperial guard. They were in charge at that time. Whenever the Jews had a celebration, the Romans showed up to make sure there was no trouble. Because remember, Passover is a celebration of liberation. It's a celebration of their, their liberation from Egypt, of the Jews' liberation from Egypt. So the Romans didn't want the Jews to get too proud of their liberation. So Pontius Pilate led a, a, an imperial parade from the west side of Jerusalem in through the town. And he came with the cavalry and the soldiers and the golden armor and all the glitz and glamour and the horns. And, and it was a big and proud and powerful statement that you can celebrate. Celebrate all you want, but don't forget who's in charge. It was very powerful. On the east side of Jerusalem, there was a very humble parade. And palm fronds were laid on the road. And Jesus arrived, humbly riding a donkey, which fulfilled the scriptural prophecy about the Savior coming. And it didn't really matter whether you thought he was the Savior or not. It mattered that he was brave enough to say, <laughs> you guys come in in your big way. I'm coming humbly with love because I love these people that are here. I am somebody. I am God expressing 
I am God expressing. And these folks, they need a boost of love and compassion and forgiveness and courage. And this sets the stage for the whole Easter story, doesn't it? Because we rarely think about the fact that Jesus issued a bit of a challenge when he came in. It didn't just kind of happen. It was totally pre-planned as a counter parade. This was not something that, oh, the people just kind of ran out and went, oh, Jesus is coming. Let's make a road. It didn't happen that way. He came from the east because in the city of Jerusalem was the big Jewish temple, and it was believed that the glory of God actually physically lived in the temple at one time, in that particular temple. And that because of the things that were done in the temple, the glory of God had left, would no longer stay there, and had left the temple and gone to, to the Mount of Olives, which is where Jesus came from. So Jesus symbolically brought the glory of God back to the temple. And this is when he went to the temple and chased out all the money changers. Because he came from the east, bringing love, bringing the glory of God back, really saying, I am God. I am the divine expression. You are the divine expression. We are the divine expression. Let's take our temple back. Let's take our temple back. And he was courageous enough to do it. He was strong and he was brave. And do you think maybe his palms were a little sweaty? Do you think maybe his heart beat a little fast on that day? It would for me. If it were me, it would be not the most comfortable day of my life. But it was powerful and important. And this is where our story of Easter starts. And it's important for you today because this story means something. This story is a reflection for us of our inner struggle between power of the physical force and might and the gentler side of us, our love and our compassion and our forgiveness and our ability to truly embrace that we are God expressing, to be courageous enough to believe that we are inside of us something holy and divine that not only deserves expressing, but has a place of, of purpose in the world. That when we express from this gentle side, we change the world. And he did, didn't he? He did. So, this is what people were all riled up about. This is why they drug him off to court and said, did you, did you see what this guy did? You have the chance to do that today. Today. Right now. On this day. On this platform. So, I have set a small little stage here. I don't know if you can see it, but there are some lovely palm fronds down here. And I'm going to invite you, if you feel called, and certainly do not feel forced, this is a strictly by choice activity, 
I'm going to invite you to claim who you are today. I'm going to invite you to use the words, I am. Because the words, I am, are the words that access the great computer. I am peace. I am love. I am forgiveness. I am the divine heart. I am willing to change. I am God expressing. I am. Two little words. But I'm going to invite you to do what Jesus did on that day. To walk up the aisle in front of your peers who love you. And to come to the center. Stand here and speak the words, I am. And when you do, we're going to be so excited for you. (laughs) Anybody need a palm now? This is important. And I want you to put yourself in Jesus' place. I want you to put yourself in the place of anybody, any prophet who is important to you, who is courageous enough to walk the heart of God in their life. And I want you to ask yourself if you are courageous enough to take this walk. The rest of the week, I'm going to guide you through the transformative process that happens after this. And you're going to receive several things in the email from me. We've got several services coming up. We're going to do this whole week as a very visceral experience. And it starts with claiming who you are. I am. <laughs>